Informed Dissent, the intersection of healthcare and politics, with Dr. Jeff Barkey, board-certified primary care physician, and Dr. Mark McDonald, board-certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. Even if you've had a previous infection and you now get a vaccine, it acts like a booster, and it boosts that immune response both the antibody response as well as the T-cell response. And so you're much more assured that you have a good immune response and that it's going to last for a long time. Of course, how long this immunity is going to last is something that researchers are still looking at. We don't know the answer to that. You know, what's funny, she, I don't know what exactly she said, but she said it in such a beautiful Indian accent and it took her forever to ultimately say, we just don't know, which is, which is hilarious. Well, Mark, great to be with you, informeddissentmedia.com, another great opportunity to try to spread the truth, this idea that if you recover from COVID, you should go ahead and get a vaccine doesn't make sense to me. What I've read is that um, recovered people, recovered from COVID, if you actually had the infection, um, you have stronger immunity than if you get a vaccine. And people that are recovered from COVID that get vaccinated, um, it offers very little benefit and they are more likely to have side effects or a reaction from the vaccine. Have you heard that as well? There are so many things that we do know. There's no point in talking about what we don't know, which is what she was trying to do. Absolutely, we know this. This is not news. This has been known for 60, 70 years since the beginning of modern medicine. When you get sick from a viral infection and you don't die, you develop natural immunity. You never catch that disease again. This is not a novel concept or some idea that we have to scratch our heads about. Uh, It's been shown to be true in every other disease that, that I've ever studied and treated from medical school up to today. I don't think there's a single documented case of somebody who's caught this Wuhan virus or one of its variants, proven, recovered, and then caught it again. That's Not right. one single case in the entire world. That's right. And if right. It, it did happen, it probably had something to do with a compromised immune system. Someone had just got a bone marrow therapy transfer, something really, really obscure. But normal, normal people, normal bodies, they, they just don't behave that way. Or a PCR test that was inaccurate the first time around and they didn't actually have COVID. But listen, if you say it with an accent, an Indian accent, my favorite is Australian or English accents. When you say it with an accent, it always sounds important and it must be true. There's a great site that I follow. It's called Zero Hedge, Zero spelled out Z-E-R-O Hedge, H-E-D-G-E. And they had a great summary article and it's uh called 30 Facts You Need to Know, A COVID Crib Sheet, by an author, Tyler Druden. Now, Tyler Druden is a pen name. The guy who writes under that pen name doesn't want to be known, so he's not doxxed and beat up, and his uh, family um, you know, ha- has to uh, move, out of the, move out of country. But it's a, it's a wonderful site, and they have uh, cutting-edge articles. And I thought we'd go through some of them, because I think... Um, the author raises some very important points. So here's one of them. Vaccines do not confer immunity or prevent transmission. We've talked about this before. Mark, give us your thoughts. So I think this is probably 
one of the most important and overlooked known facts as opposed to these unknown, we're still wondering, so-called facts that we opened with that needs to be made very clear to everyone. Vaccines, by definition, protect against infection and they protect against the transmission of infection to others. If they don't do that, then they are not vaccines. So this entire time, the last going on now close to a year, of our discussion of these novel vaccines, we call them novel vaccines, produced by Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson & Johnson. They aren't actually vaccines. This is not an opinion. This is actually factually self-evident. The more people get vaccinated, and this is true in Israel, Great Britain, Vietnam, the Seychelles, all over the world, the more people get reinfected and sick. These vaccines are not blocking anybody from catching a disease. They are at best limiting symptoms and preventing the disease from progressing further, hospitalizations and deaths, morbidity, mortality. I have so many patients coming into my practice now who already received these vaccines, one, two, now booster shots, and they come down ill, they get tested, they find out positive. They actually have a virus circulating in their body and they transmit it to other people as well, other people in their family that didn't receive the vaccines. So the reason why this is so important, we're not just, and I am not just talking about some kind of medical nomenclature, it's because once you realize that the so-called vaccines are actually nothing more than therapeutics, meaning limiting severity of illness, now all of a sudden a whole other way of thinking about how you treat illness comes into light. And that means comparing apples to apples. If you're going to decide how you want to protect yourself before, during, and after you get sick, you need to actually ask the question, what is the safest and most effective therapy? We're not talking about vaccines now, we're talking about therapy. And now all of a sudden, the debate shifts, not towards mass vaccination, but towards universal, fair comparisons of therapeutic options. And that includes all of the drugs that have been repurposed, all of the supplements and vitamins and exercise patterns and sunlight exposures that we've been talking about now on our show for weeks and weeks and weeks. And we've been talking about public speaking for over a year which includes ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, and zinc, and budesonide, vitamin D, limiting alcohol use, obesity. All of that now can be weighed for its benefits and costs against the so-called vaccinations. And I think once you do that, you don't need a medical degree really to do this. It becomes very obvious that the most beneficial and safest way to treat yourself during this pandemic is not actually with these vaccine therapeutics, but actually with repurposed medications and lifestyle changes. That's why I think this is so important. Absolutely. The, the last line under this particular point is the vaccine manufacturers themselves, upon releasing this untested messenger RNA gene therapy, were quite clear that the product's efficacy was based on reducing the severity of symptoms, not reducing infection. The next point that I thought was fascinating as well that they bring up, uh, since the beginning of 2020, the flu, influenza, has disappeared. How is that possible? Well, it's absolutely possible 
if you don't test for it and you don't diagnose it and you don't treat it. Well, wait, wait, That's wait. That's exactly wait. what happened in 2020. We, we were told that the reason why there's no flu is because of universal masking, that masks are so effective that uh, not only do they prevent people from getting COVID, but they also um, have prevented people from getting flu. And the evidence is there literally was almost no flu during 2020. Normally during a particular flu season, you might see at the low end, 15 to 20,000 deaths at the high end, 60 to 70,000 deaths. But there was almost zero deaths during 2020 due to influenza. How did, where did it go? Is it hiding? Well, it's interesting that the mask solution seems to be so conveniently answering that question as if these amazing masks that are so effective in completely eliminating the transmission of influenza somehow just can't seem to catch this darn Wuhan virus because people just keep getting it. So that, that influenza virus must be tens of hundreds of times bigger and just getting caught in all of that really fine mesh. Whereas that sneaky little Wuhan virus just goes right between the fibers <laughs> and just seems to suck itself down into the lungs. I mean, that must be the explanation. Well, of course not. The influenza virus is no different than the coronavirus. And they're all similar sizes and similar shapes and molecules. So if one works for one, one works for the other. So this idea that somehow there's this selective binding process for influenza, but not for coronavirus is an absolute joke. The so, only way that you can explain this is by noting that people are being inappropriately tested and diagnosed for these diseases. Right. So the CDC themselves came out oh, a couple months ago and they said they were pulling the emergency use authorization of one of the PCR tests. And interestingly, they make this comment, but they say, um, the pullback is not going to be until December of this year, nonetheless. And the rationale for doing so is that this PCR test is unable to distinguish between influenza and COVID-19. We keep hearing about the large number of deaths from COVID-19 now, wherever, wherever we are, 650,000 or so. Uh, but I'm convinced that not only were, were some of those, if not a large number due to influenza, but many of those um, people died with having nothing to do with COVID. They just happened to have tested positive with this PCR test that is a terrible test for trying to diagnose a viral illness. During the research that I completed for my upcoming book, Pandemic of Fear, I found multiple articles from across the country that were investigative reporting journalist productions noting that they had actually interviewed nursing home directors in multiple states and found that the nursing home directors had actually ordered the attending physicians to presumptively diagnose Wuhan virus in patients regardless of whether they had even been tested. And if they had been tested and tested positive with other diseases like pneumonia or influenza, that they were then told to just put down coronavirus because they had a positive test. And this has skewed the death certificates from the very beginning of this pandemic. And it's not a small thing. When you have directives coming down in areas where you have very, very high death rates overall from all kinds of diseases, because you have very sick people in these homes, 
And suddenly, nobody's dying of pneumonia, nobody's dying of influenza, they're all dying of this one virus. Suddenly, it makes it look like you have this really serious, terribly infectious, contagious disease on hand. And it simply is not true. Those numbers have been so highly skewed that I don't think we can even trust them anymore. Yeah, no question. I wrote an essay about this called She Died Alone uh, in a book uh, that's out, COVID-19, A Physician's Take on the Exaggerated Fear of the Coronavirus, available on Amazon, I might add. And it's about a patient of mine who runs a nursing home, and he describes this woman uh, who was you know, quite lively and happy, and then the pandemic hit. And shortly after the, after the pandemic hit, she was no longer allowed to have visitors. Uh, normally, she'd have visitors uh, multiple times during the week. And every single Sunday, they'd come over and visit grandma, mother, so forth. Uh, the pandemic hits. She no longer has visitors. And her health deteriorated quite rapidly to the point that she was now on hospice. And several months after that, she passed away. Unfortunately, she passed away without family at her bedside. She uh, died utterly alone because of the pandemic rules that made no sense. After she passed, per protocol of this nursing home, an autopsy was done. And sure enough, she tested positive for COVID. So she died of nothing related to COVID. I think she had congestive heart failure and COPD, uh, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. But because she tested positive, and this was during the time where the PCR test was using a cycle threshold of something like 40, that you could test almost the top of a table positive for COVID, uh, that sure enough, on the death certificate, COVID was listed as a cause of death. And of course, now she became part of the statistics. And while this is a, a story of one, you hear this repeated over and over and over again, not just in nursing homes, but in regular hospitalizations. People check into the hospital for something unrelated to COVID. Maybe it's a knee replacement surgery or an appendectomy or hernia surgery or whatever it is. And every hospital started testing every single patient for COVID. And now if you test positive for COVID, instead of you being a knee replacement hospitalization, you're a COVID hospitalization. And if, God forbid, you should die from your hospitalization and it's unrelated to COVID, it's still listed as a COVID death. So these COVID deaths have been exaggerated to a point where these numbers that were given on the media now, 650,000 or whatever it is, is almost meaningless. Yet so many people just glance at the number and assume it's the truth uh, because it's told over and over and over again on all the mainstream media outlets and, of course, told over again by our unelected healthcare bureaucrats that insist on using this as a pretext for emergencies, emergency authorization, emergencies for mandates and, and various things like that across the country. And it is terrible. Here's one of my favorites from uh, the um, Zero Hedge Tyler Druden uh, uh, report, and that is the elites have made fortunes during this pandemic. Amazon, for the first time in its history in 2020, reported earnings of $1 billion per day. $1 billion. Now, is that because they did such a great job at distributing groceries and sending toothbrushes in four hours to your home when you woke up and realized that you had dropped yours down the toilet? No, of course not. They got that money because it was transferred 
from all of the stores that had been forced to close because they were considered non-essential. This was actually organized theft by our government. The and from the lockdowns. of wealth in U.S. history. And from lockdowns as well because people couldn't leave. Right. They all had stuff delivered to their houses. Amazon is just one example of many. The government is not supposed to pick winners and losers, and that's exactly what it's done for the last 18 months. And the, the winners are not winning because they're doing better. They're out competing, which is what the market is supposed to do. They are winning because the government has shifted the balance of power and it has killed off all of their competition. This is why we have so many new uber wealthy people and we have virtually nobody left in the middle class because all the middle class that runs little businesses, they've all been shut down, they've all been locked down, they've all been blocked from being able to earn any money. And I think it's really disgusting. It is happening now on an ongoing basis with the concentrated, continued effort to continue this mass vaccination campaign. We have had over a trillion dollars of our U.S. taxpayer money stolen from us and redistributed to three companies, Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson & Johnson. Do you know Moderna had never launched a single product to market until it published this vaccine? Not a single one. Wow. Its stock price in 2018 was $2 a share. Last year, its stock price blew over 400 a share. Wow. It's increased almost 2,000% in its stock price. The people who own Moderna are billionaires now. Wow. Are you giving out stock they, advice? They, <laughs> if it were 2018, I would say buy Moderna. <laughs> they have made a fortune, an absolute fortune off of us. It's like selling shoes exclusively in China. You'll never run out of customers. Well, we're never going to run out of customers, not because we have these great vaccines. In fact, the reason why we're not running out of customers is because they stink. Because after two shots, we have to get a third. And now in Israel, they're getting a fourth. We're going to soon have a membership card. <laughs> Buy nine vaccines, get the 10th free and a free sub and 10% off of a, a stick of gum. Yeah, it's, don't forget the crispy really creams. It's really become like a subscription service. Oh, you probably get a free donut every time you get 10 shots. Exactly. So, yes, money has been shifted, transferred, uh, moved around more so than at any time that I'm aware of in U.S. history. We have seen a concentration of wealth. Wealth disparity has increased. Wealth inequity has increased. And this is what you hear all the time from the left, that we have wealth inequity. We need to make things more fair. Well, it's those same people that have taken the money and reinforced the inequities. Big surprise. So when people ask me, well, why on earth would we want to block early treatment? Why on earth would we not want doctors and patients to be able to make decisions? I mean, nobody would want that. Well, they do if you ask that very famous and very revealing question, who benefits? Yeah. Well, you look at who's benefited during the pandemic, and there's your answer. Yeah, for sure. Follow, follow the money. And, you know, the interesting part to me as well, and I hope it now has come to public attention because it really needs to change, is the fact that all these vaccine companies are immune from liability. And what that means is that if you're injured by one of the vaccines, um, you can't sue the vaccine company for liability. There is nobody to sue. You'd have to take it to vaccine court, which really isn't a vaccine court. It's just a hearing that they'll give you. And if you can prove beyond a reasonable doubt to the judge that the vaccine caused injury, the vaccine court will write you a check. 
There's no discovery allowed in vaccine court. You can't obtain documents from the vaccine company that you think has harmed you. Um, so it's, it's quite the conflict of interest that these vaccine companies have. The government is mandating a product and the company is immune from liability. It doesn't seem right. And that really needs to change. Um, go ahead, Mark, you're gonna say something. I completely agree. I think that the idea that one can be given an unlimited amount of money, which doesn't belong to you, to sell a product to a customer that's forced to get it and doesn't have a choice, and the product doesn't even have to work, and if it hurts the customer, the customer can't go after the manufacturer, is, is absolutely mind-boggling. And it's the only place in our entire economy where we allow this to happen. Yeah, it really is. I mean, you and I have to buy malpractice insurance to cover ourselves. Uh, most doctors throughout their career end up getting sued a few times, and the malpractice carrier covers them for liability. You know, not that the risk of lawsuit changes how you practice, although in many cases it does. You end up ordering more tests for fear that you might miss something and be sued. Um, you end up doing things maybe that you might not otherwise do, but it's necessary for physicians to have malpractice insurance. The equivalent would be to tell all doctors that they are immune from liability, that no matter what they do, they can't be sued. And then for the government to mandate that people in your community could only see you and must see you as a physician. That's the equivalent of what happens with these vaccine companies. This came about in the mid-1980s. Uh, the vaccine companies were whining to Congress that they couldn't keep up with the lawsuits that were going on with these vaccines. And if they wanted to be able to produce vaccines for the population, they needed liability protection. And somehow they convinced the Congress to do this. Part of the compromise was the creation of the VAERS website, Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System. That's a um, injury reporting site that physicians are required to, but I'll bet you most physicians don't even know this. If you suspect a vaccine injury, you're required to fill out the form, go on the website, document what happened. Patients can also uh, provide information. And by the way, we do so and they do so under penalty of law. So if you file a false report, uh, you could be fined or even jailed as a result of doing that. So the VAERS system came about as a result of vaccine companies obtaining immunity from lawsuits, and there was supposed to be um, a regular report to Congress on the VAERS website about vaccine injuries that were going. Congress basically said, okay, we'll give you immunity, but you need to report to us on a regular basis about various injuries that are occurring and we'll use the VAERS website. We'll create the VAERS website. The VAERS website currently is run by the Biden administration, the FDA and the CDC, and it's the best site we have. Uh, as of last reading, this was last week or so, there's been about 16,000 deaths reported to this website as a result of COVID-19 vaccinations. Um, this, of course, is correlation, not necessarily causation. 
Uh, but there was a study out of Harvard about 10 years ago looking at the VAERS website, and they concluded that only about 1% of all vaccine injuries are even reported to the VAERS website. So you can do the math at to, as to what the actual numbers may be. Uh, but again, we're immune from all liability. The vaccine companies are. The government is mandating that citizens must take their product. And they're basically ignoring the data on the VAERS website. There is no reporting to Congress. There is no report from the vaccine companies describing uh, injury and so forth. They're getting a complete pass on this. There's a conflict of interest. This is crony capitalism. And because of this, I believe patients are directly being harmed, even some dying as a result of this information not being made public. And it's, it's, a, it's a shame that this is happening. And of course, when you and I point this out and other doctors point this out, we're called quacks. We're overreacting. We're exaggerating. Our licenses should be taken away for trying to share the truth. And that, that's what's happening across the country to doctors that are speaking out. This is ironic because the same people that are saying we're exaggerating, we're making up data in order to smear the vaccines are the first people that will go after us and accuse us of using dangerous horse deworming medications <laughs> to treat <laughs> to treat a viral infection as and going so far as to actually make stuff up like that doctor in Oklahoma last month who supposedly had seen patients with gunshot wounds dying in the halls of his emergency room because the hospital and the ER were overflowing with overdoses of veterinary ivermectin. Yeah, that I've doctor lied. The hospital actually put out a press release two days later, said, just uh, letting you know that this doctor here, he hasn't actually worked in our hospital ER for about two months. Yeah, no, no retraction, no consequences, no nothing. That lie makes it out there. And uh, the truth barely even gets mentioned. Speaking of, speaking of the truth, here's another uh, bullet point from this article. The vast majority of COVID deaths have serious comorbidities. There is a study out of Italy from uh, 2020 showing that 99.2% of all COVID deaths in Italy, remember Italy was hit real hard and they just had you know massive COVID going on early in the pandemic. Everybody was looking to Italy. There's a variety of reasons for this happening. One of the reasons- It was Northern were, Italy and they were all old people. They were. And Italy uh, um, maintained their air, air flights from China uh, into Italy, plus a lot of the Italian companies are owned by Chinese nationals. So there were a lot of Chinese going back and forth uh, spreading this virus, and there were a lot of old people. So 99.2% of the deaths in Italy during 2020 had at least one serious comorbidity, and over 50% had three or more serious pre-existing conditions. And they list these conditions as cancer, heart disease, dementia, Alzheimer's, kidney failure, diabetes, and others. And this pattern, they say, held up in all other countries throughout the course of the end pandemic. We never hear about that. And um, an October 2020 FOIA request, Freedom of Information Act, uh, to the UK revealed that less than 10% of the official COVID death count at that time had COVID as the sole cause of death. The, our own CDC came out, this was last year, 
and said that 94% in the United States, 94% of all COVID deaths in the United States had significant underlying comorbidities and only 6% of the deaths measured in the United States, this was last year, had COVID as a single cause of death. But this is so exaggerated that everybody is you know, at equal risk. I remember when AIDS first came out, it was advertised as an equal opportunity killer in order to get the funding to do the research uh, to try to find a cure. Everybody was at risk, not just people that were engaged in high-risk behavior. The media and the government love to lie to the American people in order to achieve a specific outcome that they're trying to accomplish. You announce a crisis and then you order the solution. Yeah. Exactly, and that's what's that's exactly what's happening now. So well, the take six percent of six hundred thousand, which is the estimated death count, that's thirty six thousand lives of healthy people died. Compare that to the number of traffic collision deaths last year, over forty thousand. We've had more traffic accident deaths in the U.S. in the last year than we've had healthy people dying of this virus. Absolutely, and here's the lie that's being presented right now as we speak: children are at high risk of getting COVID and being hospitalized. The solution, therefore, we must vaccinate our children. And it just simply is not true. Whether it's the Delta variant or the newer variants that are going to come out, Mu variant, Lambda variant, etc., children continue to be at very, 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 that's three varies, low risk of consequences of this illness. One for each decimal point. Exactly. Mark, great to be with you again. Thank you all for listening. Keep your questions coming. Let us know where you're listening from, informeddissentmedia.com, and we'll see you next time. You've been listening to Informed Dissent with Dr. Jeff Barkey, board-certified primary care physician, and Dr. Mark McDonald, board-certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. Informed Dissent, the intersection of healthcare and politics.